some of these lessons while I was at Faith Farm, and our intention was to acquaint some of those men that came in with the Bible, and also we used them in some of the church services, that is to reacquaint individuals with the Bible. And sometimes if we feel like we know the Bible, we're surprised when we get back into it. So the Bible always makes a good study. And so if we, you feel like this is elementary, well, just bear with me, you know, just act like I don't know any better than that. And uh, then just bear with me. And if you're that in-depth of the scriptures, well, then you can wait on me, all right, till I catch up with you. All right, I want to begin just reading a little scripture found in Genesis, the 11th chapter, beginning at the 31st verse and reading the first three verses of verse 12. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan, and they came into Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years old. Two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. We begin our lessons on what the Bible says, and what the Bible says about God's Word, the origin of it, uh, where the world came from, about God's world, and where the world came from, how come it come into being, Creation being an orderly process, God's laws of nature and what this means to us. Then what the Bible said about God, and God's word speaks a lot about God, and lets us know that man knows there's a higher being, and let us know that only the Bible is trustworthy. Then what the Bible said about God and his attributes, it tells us over and over again there is but one God. This one God is in three manifestations, and God is a spirit, and God is a personality expressed through Jesus Christ, the flesh. God is eternal. God is present everywhere, omnipresent. God is all-wise. God is almighty. God is holy. God is just, and God is righteous. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is love. All throughout the Bible, you will see that. Then what the Bible says about the origin of man. He created man a living soul, created man in the image of God, which meant man knows how to know, he feels and wills, created male and female, created Adam, and then so Adam needed a help meet, and man became the crown of, of God's creation. Man lived in close relationship to God until tempted and fell away. Then it what the Bible says about God's goodness to sinful man. And we see that almost immediately after Adam and Eve had failed, God comes in the garden seeking them. So you can see his mercy. And all we have, we learn in the Bible, is a gift from God. And God's greatest concern of this whole creation that he has made is us. And when I thought about that, I thought how, how personal God is. 
how kind he is and how merciful he could have anything he wants. But man became the crown of his creation and his primary thoughts are concerning mankind, erring mankind. And then what the Bible said about sin and its consequences with our last study, sin is a revolt against God. If you want to know what sin is, it's just revolting and rebelling against God. So it might uh, cause us sometimes to check and see if our life might have had some sin in it by revolting and rebelling against God. We learn that sin gives man a guilty conscience. It will always be that way until he sears his conscience with a hot iron. And then, of course, he has no conscience of right or wrong. And we went into the fact that one of the things that happened to the crack and drug addicts is that part of the brain that speaks concerning right or wrong uh, doesn't operate, and so there's no right or wrong to them. And then it's taught in the world all over. It's taught every place that there is no right or wrong. Whatever you feel like's right, that's right. Whatever you feel like wrong is wrong. But uh, God gives a different idea of that in the Scripture. And sin separates man from God. Sin makes life burdensome. Thought it as I looked at that, how much burdens we carry in this life because of that. Then sin brought death to man, but God's promise. If you ever notice in the midst of catastrophes, in the midst of man's failures, even when God comes and pronounces judgment, he always, always looks to the uh, few that are trying to do the best they can, and he promises good things. So in the midst of it all, God promises us a Savior. Then it talks about Noah and the flood, how... God saw the wickedness of man was so great that the very imagination of his was evil continually and God dealt with that and sought to deal with mankind. Mankind couldn't listen, but he found one man that listened. God's always got a man. That's one thing we need to understand. God's always got a man. Someplace, somewhere, he's always got a man. He's always got a witness. And so he found Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then the mercy of God was great. As 120 years, Noah preached concerning the grace of God. Build it a place for mankind to come in so they could be saved. And yet mankind refused. And Noah's relationship with God. And then, even after God had saved them, sin reappears after the flood. And there was a development of heathenism where humanity had again forgotten God. Time went on, man drifted farther and farther away, and we'll catch up with where we started off uh, last, where we ended off last Wednesday night. And he got so far away that he, his worship was placed in the sun and placed in the moon and placed in the stars and other created things. He placed these things on a level with God in place of the Creator. In other words, he worshiped and praised the creature more than the Creator. And when we look at that, we think, how can they do that? But if we check in this world today, you'll still find people worshiping the creature, what the creature can give and what the creature wants and desires, sometimes even self-worship more than we worship God. And over the centuries, God became unknown to them. They were steeped in heathenism, but God then begins to deal. One more time, in the midst of all of this, he finds born in Herb Chaldeas, which is Iraq, not far from the side of the Tower of Babel, Abram, the son of Terah, who had later moved from Haran near the border of the present-day Turkey or Syria. It was there God appeared unto him 
and made himself known to Abram. Genesis 11, 26, 32, 12, 1, 3. We read that. And he told Abraham to leave his homeland and go to the land of Canaan where he would make of him and his descendants a great nation, promising that through Abraham or through Abram uh, that all the families of the earth should be blessed. And you don't see anything there about Abram questioning God. And perhaps maybe he just maybe asked a few questions. We don't know about that. All it says is that so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. This is what made Abram uh, special in the eyes of God is that some way or somehow in the heart of Abram through all the heathenism that he had lived in and uh, I think Joshua 24 and 2 says that uh, their fathers served other gods. So Abraham certainly wasn't brought up in a relationship with God, but something inside of this man was different, and God knew he could speak to him, and so he spoke to him, and Abraham responded. Abraham didn't have a good time at, at first, but Abraham's faith was tested in a lot of ways. But each of the experiences, his faith grew stronger. Stop there long enough and ask us if this is what happens to us. When we have problems and trouble and when uh, the tides of time is not good to us, when things happen to us, experiences that God allows us to go through, does our faith grow stronger or does it grow weaker? Are we reaching out and questioning in a sense and maybe uh, belittling God in some way? Are we saying in these things, God, I need to learn what you're talking to me about? I need to learn through these things, God, and I want to learn through these things because if I do, I'm going to be stronger and I need to be stronger. And his life can truly be summarized by the fact that it says in Genesis 15 and 6, And he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. And yet God was still seeking after man. These are just brief introductions of people. You go on with the life stories of Isaac and Jacob, two of the descendants of Abraham, and that they make it evident that only through faith is a close relationship with God possible. Now, we need a close relationship with God, don't we? I mean, and faith is what brings us to that close relationship with God. Finding out what God means, finding out what God wants and believing Him understanding and believing him. God's dealing with Abraham, with his descendants, show us clearly that it is not man that seeks after God, but it is God that seeks after man. I don't know about you, but it sometimes makes me want to stand and lift my eyes to heaven and my arms up and say, thank God for finding me where I was at. Thank God for understanding that I needed a Savior. As God reveals Himself, taking man into relationship with Him, offering Him numerous things out of a life in which sometimes man rejects and turns and walks the other direction. You see, our relationship with God is not necessarily based upon what we do, but what God does in our life. What God allows in our life for what He wants us to do and God working through us. And this is the wonderful attitude of God toward sinful man. This called grace. Hallelujah. Unmerited favor of a living God. The only proper response 
that we can give to grace is just faith. I mean, there's not anything else, no other response that we can make to the grace of God, but even faith, even faith is not a product of our own mind. It's not something that we can do. It's not the result of our own abilities. Faith is a gift of God that the Holy Ghost creates in our heart and makes us understand that. Bible says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, but in a gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But God had a special reason to call Abraham out. He had a special reason to move through Isaac, then through Jacob, and then come Jacob's twelve sons. God's intention was to separate this man from the heathenistic nations and make a nation that would trust him, that would be different from all the other nations surrounding them. And God chose this nation to be the apple of his eye. He always has a man. We find then the uh, twelve tribes of Israel born from Jacob, and great famine came up. Looked like it was going to destroy them, but God has, was ahead of time in them in so much that when the sons of Jacob sold Joseph, to the Egyptians, God was there, overruling anything, evil intentions or whatever, and God worked through this sinful deed for the good of the Israelites. And I think if God can do that back then, He can still do that tonight, don't you think? Regardless of what evil the devil has, things perpetrated in our life, God can cause these things to work out for good to those that love and serve Him. After 400 years family of Jacob became a nation for Israel. Twelve tribes numbering 600,000 souls. But after that there arose a king who did not know Joseph. And so they dealt harshly with them. And it looked like that they was bound to spend their time in Egypt. What would happen then to God's promise of making a nation of them that would be as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seas. What would happen to that? Well, they needed another man. God did not forget, and God always has a man. Amen. Always has somebody prepared on the backside of the desert, wherever he's at. And God had not forgotten in the midst of all of those years, he had not forgotten the descendants of Abraham, had not forgotten the covenant he made with Abraham, had not forgotten the covenant he made with Isaac and Jacob, had not forgotten the promise he'd made to them. Sometimes time passes and we wonder if God has not forgotten what he's told us. Amen. Hasn't happened. I was sharing with somebody that there's a lot of things, several things in my ministry that God has promised me and a lot of them has come to pass. Not in the way that I thought they would, but they have come to pass. But there's still some yet that has not come to pass, and I'm not as young as I used to be, and I look up sometimes to God, and I think I don't have very much longer in this life. More time has passed than is ahead of me. What about all these promises that you've made to me? And then I'm reminded that God understands. He does not forget His promises. He promised to make them a great nation. He promised that through them all the families of the earth would be blessed. 
And so they had to get out of Egypt. They could not become a great nation in Egypt. Neither can we become a great people of God as long as we stay in the world. We cannot get the benefits we need in the world. There needs to be a separation of man. And God knew that, so he raised up Moses and led them out. You, under, you know that story. If you don't, go to Genesis and read it. And at Sinai, God called Moses to be a deliverer of Israel. And under God, he led the people out to their liberty and to their freedom. While on their journey, they arrived at Mount Sinai, and God made a covenant with his people and gave them Ten Commandments. I'm not going to go much in the commandments, but my wife is teaching on that. And I'm not sure how, how much she's got in it, so I'm not going to get in the way. But there was Ten Commandments there. Now, God didn't actually number the commandments. This has been done by men in later generations. Some follow one order in numbering the commandments. Others number them differently. But the important part is not necessarily in the numbering, but in the fact that man is enabled by God to know him and to do his will. It is through those commandments. The Ten Commandments show us what pleases and what displeases God. Amen. So we need to be aware that those things are still valid and true today. God is overall. The Ten Commandments cover the entire relationship between God and man and between man and his fellow man. Overall, the Ten Commandments were written these words, I am the Lord thy God. Now there can be no mistaking who has given these commandments, all right? The basic commandment, of course, was summarized by Jesus when asked, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? And he replied, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. <laughs> Hallelujah. If we could do that, the other commandments would just naturally fall right into place, and we'd have, have no problem with them at all. Amen. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the, he was just merely restating what Moses had already written uh, by divine inspiration 1,500 years before uh, Jesus made this statement. But God and God alone has to govern the life of man. Nothing whatsoever dare take his place. We dare not, saints, we dare not allow anything to take the place of God in our life. We must not fear, we must not love, we must not trust anyone or anything but Almighty God. He is seeking, asking for first place in our lives. And if we could ever give him that, we would never be sorry. Amen. Of course, the Ten Commandments, there again, brief resume of that, divided in two groups, tables of stone. The first table speak of our duty toward God. That's already been gone over. Second uh, table talks about what we owe one to another because of God and because we're his children. And you need to read Exodus 22 and 17. Now, I want to deal a little bit here with commandments. There is such a confusion when it comes to reading the Bible concerning the law. And that confusion ought not to be. It is certainly confusing to a lot of people. But in the law there's commandments, which is the righteous will of God. And there's judgments, which uh, govern social life. And there's ordinances, which actually is the ceremony por ceremonial portions of the law, which Paul said in Galatians 3.19 was added because of the transgressions until the seed should come, which, of course, was Jesus. The law, especially as we have it, is a standard for man. This is what God requires if we're to live in close relationship to him. 
That's God's holy will for us in our day as it was for those that have already living and it still will be for generations yet to come. God's standards remains the same. Yes. I want to talk just a little bit. I don't want to go in depth with that. But the Ten Commandments are universally accepted as the highest moral code there is. And, but there is other God-given laws that govern such things as Jewish prudence, which is court decisions and what have you, monetary regulations, true standards of wealth and interest and debts, and all other things which have to do with moral and economic life of the family and the nation. Now, we are bound by these laws just as surely as we're bound by the Ten Commandments. I want to list some of them. Maybe one of these times uh, we'll go in depth in some of that. There's laws concerning military training, how that ought to be done. It should stand. We have adapted some of that. There's laws concerning war, laws concerning vacations, how you should take a vacation and how you shouldn't. There's laws against interest or about interest, laws about lending. There's laws about imprisonment. There's laws about restoration and capital punishment. There's laws concerning labor relations. Laws concerning qualifications for an office. Laws concerning government organization. Laws about stealing, penalty for adultery, foods that's prohibited and still is if you want our health the way it ought to be. Uh, laws about sanitation. Laws about accidental death. Laws about private ownership. There's laws about property rights. There's laws about taxes. Laws about drafting for war. Laws about exempting from military service. Laws about court proceedings. Laws about standard of value. Laws about slavery. Laws about tax exemptions. Laws about government revenue. Laws about indebtedness. Laws about kidnapping. Laws about compensation for injuries. And probably on and on we could go a brief resume of some of the laws that God had laid down for Israel to be a unique nation. Those laws should still be in our land today, for we are, without a shadow of a doubt, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, without a shadow of a doubt, are the nation of modern-day Israel. We don't understand that. We don't know it. And because of that, a lot of things that is happening today is happening because we have not adhered to the laws that God laid down for us. A lot of them we can't do because they're governmental laws, but a lot of them are personal laws that we could do if we knew them and understood them, all right? We have to remember that there are great bodies in the law set forth, laws contained in the commandments, laws set forth in statutes, laws governing judgments, laws contained in the ordinances. Now, Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirements of these ordinances. The ceremonial law does not have to be observed but the commandments and statutes and judgments are still in operation today. Ought to be in operation today. Would give us a healthier life. Would give us longer life. Would give us a better nation. Would give us better government. Would give us better cities and towns. And uh, give us better churches if we understood the laws of God. They're not made there to be sadistic. They're made there to make us better, feel better all the time and live longer all the time and live in peace and harmony with God. That's what they were there for. They were there to separate Israel, Abraham, Israel from the heathenistic world. The thing that bothers me today, saints, is the fact that we're looking at the heathenistic nations around us 
and striving to do our best to be like them. It has never worked. When you look at it, their nations are unshackled. Their nations are torn apart. They don't know how to feed themselves or anything else. And we, as the United States of America, has never suffered one thing whatsoever. What is happening is our storehouses are being emptied. Our armies are being torn apart. The laws of morals are being torn down. What we need is a revival of Almighty God that saturates our life and saturates our being. In other words, God needs a church that will stand up and move for God and understand God and really say, God, what is not being applied to my life? Now I want to read you something that they placed in there we had arguments sometimes on this <laughs> and uh, when I left of course there wasn't anything I could do but I want to read you something that they uh, uh, inserted in this and uh, my question to them was why would God give laws that cannot be kept you see you hear all the time the law couldn't do this and the law couldn't do that and the law couldn't do something else. And it's all bunched up in the law. But they make no separation to the fact of the ordinance of the ceremony part of the law, which was the only thing that Jesus fulfilled and did away with. And I don't see one thing in the basic Ten Commandments or anything else that man, if he was desirous to do, could not keep. Not one thing in there that if he wanted to keep it, he could keep it. Now this is what they wrote. Uh, in spite of what they had said up here before and what we had printed and what we had used for lessons, in spite of what they said that God gave us through the law uh, uh, things to do and things that he desired us to do and things we could do, stay in close relationship with him. And they say, but man cannot keep God's law. I'm reading from verbatim for what they say. The frightening truth, however, is that man cannot keep the law of God. No man has been able to uh, keep it perfectly, and no man ever will. And then they reach in and take a scripture out of context, in Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That is so, as far as being able to rationalize our salvation. God has kept His promises, they say, but he made Israel at Mount Sinai. The people soon broke one commandment after another. Thus it was apparent that by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now then, what law are they talking about? Not the law of the commandments, not the law of judgment, but he's talking about the ceremonial law. By the deeds of the sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats and pigeons, no flesh can be justified in the sight of God. It took the blood of Jesus Christ that would restore us and redeem us. You can sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats all you want to, and it's not going to do any. God placed it there because of transgressions so that man could come and offer that sacrifice, did not redeem man, just pushed his sins back awaiting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. You see, if we used it like that, 
we'd have to say, well, what purpose was the law anyway? God was giving us something that we can't fulfill, so let's just sit back on our haunches and let God do it all. The fact of the business is, God did not say anything, but what if it was in the heart of man to do, he could do it. Even in his fallen state, he could keep from stealing, he could keep from killing, he could keep from doing all these other things in the basic Ten Commandments of the law. God knew he could, and so he wanted to govern him by that. So what value is the commandments and judgments today? Well, they're the same thing as always. They curb the violence of sin. If they're known by, by people, if they're told to people, if it was not for the existence of God's law, there'd be a lot more actual sin than there is. Murder and stealing and other gross sins that's there. But God's law, generally accepted as the Ten Commandments, even by non-Christians sometimes, becomes a guide of life without which man would be so wicked. And he is getting that way now because there is no more laws for him to follow. They do not know it. Our nation, our government, one time held up the standard of moral laws and commandments and said, this is the way it's going to be. And yet, because of the heathenistic ideas of man and men that has crept into the high office in our governments, they have uh, relinquished the authority of God. They have done away with the authority of God. And they've simply said, you're a law unto yourself. You know, one time there was such a thing where a man did that which was right in his own eyes, but that is not the way it is with God. There is laws that govern our lives. There's laws that govern our spiritual life, laws that govern our moral life, and laws that govern our natural life. And God help us to hear what is happening to us. It is not God's will for our nation to be in the catastrophic condition that it is in. Now, God's law also served to let man recognize his ability to have redemption. You see, God uses the moral law to show man his sin. Without the law, they did not know sin and there was no sin. Paul says that. But then the law came and sin revived. He understood that he was a sinner. He understood what he needed to do. And uh, you see, uh, the law itself cannot save man, but it can bring man into the presence of God. It can make him know what is right or wrong and can make him understand also that he needs a redemptive plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we need the gospel to penetrate the heart of mankind. Paul says, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law, and what law is he talking about? Ceremonial law. If that law had been given which could make alive, then righteousness would be by the law. But that law was not given. That law was to keep us until the seed came, which then could make us alive. Aren't you glad you're alive tonight through the blood of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hand and say thank you for redemption. Hallelujah. He made us alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we came to the place where the law served its purpose. What law is he talking about again? This ordinances, ceremonial law. And a new covenant was made. You see, Jesus came. This was a new covenant that he made. Covenant through the blood of not bulls and goats and, and pigeons. But this covenant was sealed through the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he made it with Israel first. And all the Gentiles can be included, but he made it with the nation of Israel. Hallelujah. It is ours to know and to understand and to give it to the Gentile world when they come in. 
It is ours. Mistake. Our land was founded upon the fundamental principles of God's law. And anybody that come into this country needs to understand that. Yes. Amen. They're not to come in this uh, nation of ours and uh, bring uh, Muhammad and Ismail and all these other things and worshiping Eastern cultures and all things like that. It dilutes the power of God. Amen. And should a nation be the way it ought to be, it would be God's law. We're founded upon that. But then it become the mission of the prophets of the Old Testament to prepare God's people for this new covenant. Moses was the first of these. Before his death, Moses repeated, recorded it in the book of Deuteronomy. In addition to reminding God's people one more time about it, Moses pointed out that there would be a Savior who would fulfill that law for them. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee thy brethren like unto me. Unto him shall ye hearken. You find out in Deuteronomy 18.15. And then Moses Death, God sent prophets like Samuel and Elijah and Jeremiah and others reminded Israel of the law and urged obedience to that. They reminded Israel of God's promise that He was going to send the Savior. They, God protected His people from despair. Always when God was dealing with them in His wrath there was always tempered with mercy. He never closed anything without saying to those who were faithful to Him you're going to have a Savior. Judgment upon those who didn't believe but mercy upon those that did. And He never closed anything without telling them about the Savior. God protected His people. They reminded us God's people we are that we have forgiveness of sin. We repent of that. Trust in God's redeeming love. He promised to fully reveal the Messiah who was to come. Repetitions of these promises weave themselves all the way through the Bible and Deuteronomy and Second Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah and Haggai and on and on you can go. If you look in there, you're going to see intertwined in everything else, even where God is rebuking the nation, the promise of a coming Savior. During the years of the Old Testament, God had one primary purpose in mind. That was to train Israel to become even more and more His people to whom He could finally reveal Himself fully, not only as Savior and Lord, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Israelites, of course, as usual, plan to forget their obligation to God as chosen people. How many of you know that when you're chosen for something, you have an obligation? Yes. Amen. Yes. How many of you know when you were chosen by the Lord and He redeemed you and filled you with His power, gave you His name, that He gave you an obligation? How many of you know that? If you don't, we need to get it in our heart. We can't forget our obligations to God. And somehow He had to bring them to their senses. We're standing right now. I'm not sure we realize it. But we're standing right now upon the very verge of being again chastised by the Lord as a nation. Now what God did when they would not listen to Him, He caused the northern tribes, which was the ten tribes of Israel, to be overrun and carried off into Assyrian captivity, 722 B.C. And then a little bit later, because Judah would not listen to what had happened, to the ten tribes of Israel 
because they wouldn't see, because they wouldn't understand, he allowed them also in 586 B.C. to be taken in captivity by the Babylonians. But in the midst of all of this, God's purpose was being achieved. And they were in exile in Babylon. A lot of the Jews turned back to God through repentance and faith. Because of this, God permitted them to return to their homeland, to rebuild a temple and the city of Jerusalem. And you see the books of Ezra and Jeremiah tell us about that. But there's greater things than that. While they were scattered abroad, they migrated till they finally come to the place where God wanted them. Till they finally come into the Isles of Britain and into the Isles uh, of Ireland and in the Isles of Scotland and other places, pockets of them in Germany, until finally uh, Great Britain got so big and people wanted to get away from that that they migrated into the United States of America. And there you find the Israelitish people. There, here you'll find the Israelitish nation. Not somebody that's lost out there, not some black tribe that's out there, but standing right here in the United States of America is a people so blessed by God and they don't even understand it. My God says, let's honor God tonight for living where we are in spite of everything that's happening at this right, this nation, saints. Let's understand who we are. But if God cannot cause us to be what we need to be, then He has ways of doing it. I've said it before, no other nation in Bible history has a chance to rule its destiny but Israel. These other nations have no choice. They will be what they are because they don't know God. But Israel has a choice. It can awaken. It can get back to God. It can accept the moral laws and the commandments and follow after them. And it can do all of these things and still be a nation of refuge and a nation of rest and a nation of peace while all the powers of hell out there are taking charge and all the wrath of the beast upon the nations out there the United States of America does not have to be a part of that because the name must first come by a nation and then it comes individually my God saying see who we are see what we are see what we can escape but see what we can run right into as long as complacency is there as long as we live self-righteous lives as long as we forget who we are my God saints we are something and we are somebody let us arise and understand that now then the Old Testament presents God's revelation of His grace and love in history. God has had to punish His people ever so prone to go astray that God repeated time and time again what He was going to do. Now it's true that only comparably few really understand the true meaning and purpose of God's outcalling of His nation Israel. While others just think of God in, and this nation in terms of a political thing, but nevertheless, I feel like inside, in our lives, there's enough people who have a longing for the Savior and a longing for the King of Kings and a longing to understand the ways of God and a longing to be what God would have us to be so that as a nation, nationally, we can not only be a church of the living God, we can be a nation of the living God. God has ordained it such. And God help us to understand that. But we have our destiny in our hands. 
fact of business is I go so far as to say that the destiny of the nation rides upon the shoulders of the church world. What we do about it. How sick and tired that we get of the way things are being portrayed and the way things are being run and how sick and tired we get of the status quo in our world. Just let me feel the touch of God just a little bit. God, just answer a few uh, cries for me. Lord, just let me come to you and holler, give me, give me, give me, and let you touch me a little bit. And let me just be satisfied with just the touch of the Master. Don't bother me with my responsibilities. Don't bother me with the responsibilities I have to my neighbors, my friends, and to my nation. Don't place that heavy on me, God, but it is on us anyway. It's laid heavy on our shoulders. What do we do with it? What do we need, saints? In closing, we need an awakening to the holiness of God. We need a stirring of the commandments of God. We need to understand that we don't just go to God and all His mercy will take care of everything. There's things that God says in our life could make life easier. Amen? People don't have to live like we live today. People don't have to have diseases like we have today. Because God's laws had told us how to accomplish that. If our nation could ever get back on track with God, if our church could ever recognize what our responsibility is, I don't think we could go home and lay our head on our shoulders and rest comfortably with the fact that we know Jesus any longer. I think we would understand that with that comes a knowledge right and wrong and with knowing Jesus comes a responsibility of standing for the truth the holiness and righteousness of God and we don't need to ever be said and we haven't heard that we do have a choice as a nation and that choice has to be made and will have to be made soon God is not going to continue to condone what is happening because there's things happening today that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for. And if it keeps on, God have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when that happened to the nation of Israel, God brought calamity on it time and time again until finally he had to disperse it. Now I don't know how you would feel about your children being taken captive about them being taken from you and destroyed or killed, maybe right in your sight. I don't know what you would feel like when they come in and closed all the churches, when they took all the Bibles away from you. And all of this, this has happened to people that forgot God. It happened to Israel of old. And they took all the temple worship and everything else away from them. I don't know how we'd feel. Perhaps we would do just like they did. We'd look back, and when they ask us for a song, we'd say, how can we sing in the land of bondage? Amen. So we're facing some things that we don't realize we're facing. While the world jumps and shouts and rejoices and uh, feels the Holy Spirit up and down our spine, great things are getting ready to happen. Choice is ours. We have some worksheets. You don't have to turn these in. And they're really just for you to look at, check through some of the things. Check your Bible. If you don't know some of these answers, just check your Bible, run it through it, and it'll acquaint you with your Bible again. All right? So if you want these, look through, and there's not a one of us that don't need 
to look through our Bible again, but if you don't intend to use it, don't take it, please. So I'm going to ask uh, Brother Paul, Brother Bill, if you'll come. Just pass them out to whoever might want them. I'm going to ask you to stand. And while they're doing that, I'm going to ask you if there's anyone that needs prayer tonight, because we'll be willing to pray for you. I don't know how many is there. Well, like I said, if you want to turn them in, if you want us to look over them, that'll be fine. We'll do that. But they're just primarily for you to look through, for you to check out. If you know them, mark them, that'll be fine. But if you don't know it, look in your Bible. The answers will be there. And there again, that's a reacquaintance of the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. There's not going to be any questions concerning the last portion of our priest about. All right? There'll be no questions about that. Okay. Because that was very sovereignly turned down by uh, individuals there. Not by the men, because... You see, you can you can teach things like this to people that did not uh, that not uh, Christians. There's something about it they they want it, but Christians have been indoctrinated for so long they don't want to hear this. Is there anyone that needs prayer? Let's remember while we're waiting on you, our fifth anniversary service. Please come. Please ask us others to come. Don't embarrass your church by your non-attendance. Uh, we're going to have some good speakers. Brother Dion Dutton will be speaking in the morning. We'll have some good singing. I want our locals to get songs because I'm not sure how many is going to be here from other places. And then in the evening, we'll have some singing, and Brother Gary Gossett will be ministering for us. So we're going to have some good messages. You'll enjoy them both. Amen. So let's don't forget, you have to bring some food now with you. Amen. Amen. And don't forget what I've said. I've lost what I asked you, but you know who I asked and what I asked and what I wanted you to do. Please do that. And if you can't do that, please let me know immediately after service. Okay? All right. Have I thoroughly confused you? <laughs> See me after church. I'll straighten you out. Amen. All right, let's just lift our hands and thank God for His grace. Father, we thank You tonight. Glory and adoration to You, Lord, in the midst of a troubled world. We know You're still God. Our intent is to worship You, God, and stand upon Your promises. Fulfill Your promises, Lord, as much as we possibly can now in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray. Seal it in our minds. Seal it in our hearts. Make us hungry, God. Make us dissatisfied with the life of the dears. God, and make us hungry enough to seek You to find Your will. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you is our prayer.